As we prepare to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we read from the Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21. through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Congratulations, Pastor Ryan. We're excited uh, for you completing this leg of the journey as has already been shared and for your ongoing fruitful ministry amongst us. And uh, we're so happy to have you here and we look forward to what God will do through you. This past week, um, a gentleman walked into the church here or to the front door and shared with me uh, in tears that his wife and him uh, had just lost their little six-month-old daughter. Um, I hate to be somber and start off a sermon this way, but my heart was so deeply uh, hurt by what had happened as they had lost this little girl. And I offered that we as a church today, I invited him to join in online, would take some time to pray for God's comfort and strength for them. In several, uh, several interactions I've had over the last month or so, it is becoming evident to me that there are so many hurting people in society, in our communities. 
Some people struggle without any place to go, no one to share the burden with. Uh, some people are isolated, some people are on their own and carry with them the weight of not only a quarantine and isolation, but the burdens that they are struggling with and through. And so this morning, I want you to join me as the Church of God and to do the kind of work that we are called to do. Prayer for us is not, um, is not the last resort. It is the way we live our lives. We are those who learn that that which God wants to do in His world, we need Him to do alongside us and through us. And we believe that when we pray, God hears. He listens. He's attentive. This morning, we want to think of Matthew and his wife and their loss. I want to think about Mark, who I met just recently, whose parents have been moved into care. I want to think about some of our own parishioners that in this very moment is in hospital, some of them diagnosed with COVID. And we want to be brothers and sisters in Christ who bring before the Lord those whom he loves. And so would you bow your heads with me? Not so important that you listen to my prayer as that I'm going to create some space and time for you just to pray for some of these requests that I've brought before you and as the Spirit leads you. And then I will pray and close our time before I share from God's Word. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto this great God we pray. Father, we bring to you the needs of our community. We bring before you in particular the hurt and the, the mourning of Matthew and his wife on the loss of their precious daughter. We ask, dear God, that in all that is needed, that all that is hurting, all that is broken in this world, that we as your people would stand as intercessors between the world's needs and you. That we would be praying, asking that your perfect will would be done, that your kingdom would come in, in every way to bring healing and restoration and hope, but in particular this morning, comfort. Father, when words fail, when words seem inadequate, not enough, we ask that your spirit, your presence with that dear family would uphold them today. We pray for those who are alone by themselves this morning, who are perhaps asking questions of, of you. Maybe they are seeking for answers in a season that has brought many questions. We pray this morning that the same spirit of comfort would be the same spirit of revelation and truth, that you would bring to bear in the hearts and lives of people the truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and his hope and his grace and his mercy and his power not only to save, but to transform. 
This morning we pray that your spirit would minister not only to comfort and to reveal, but that your spirit would minister to the heart of your saints gathered in every church across the corners of this world. We ask, Lord, that today, on this day, again, the church would hear the words of life and hope that inspires it in its mission, that we would hear from you so that we may live for you. And so I pray, dear God, as Jesus has taught us to pray to you as our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you would give us today our daily bread. That you would forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have wronged us. That you would lead us not into temptation, but that you, dear God, would deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In my time of prayer this past week, I, I listened to a prayer app. There's some really good ones. And as I listened, uh, because this is the season that the Lord has asked me to listen more. I don't know if the Lord ever speaks to you in that kind of personal way, but he said, you, you learn so much more, Stu, when you just shut your mouth a little bit and open your ears. And so this app has proven really uh, meaningful to me because I have to listen to it. <laughs> but you know what I've come to find is listening is really hard when you try. <laughs> Have you ever found that? There's so much going on in life, in my head, in my mind. There's the telephone. I've got to mute or turn that cell phone off. There's so many things that vies for my attention. I was saying this to some of my friends this past week. I said, there's always the urgent that seems to want to capture my attention, but there is the calling of God towards the things of God that ultimately brings life that requires the kind of discernment that says no to other things in order to be attentive to what matters. And so as I listened to the word this past week, uh, the devotional that was presented quoted a, a saint of old, uh, A.W. Tozer, who wrote in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important Thing about us. The history of humankind, he says, will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And our spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. And then it went on to reflect upon Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul prays this for the church. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, get this, so that you may know Him better. That just landed on me. <laughs> so that you would know Him better. Our hope comes not from anyone else, but who God is and what He has done through Jesus Christ. The prayer of the church in a season like this is given to us by the Apostle Paul. He says that God may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know God better. 
What a prayer. In all that you've studied, Pastor Ryan, and I know I've seen the books on your shelf. You've studied a lot. There is a, a sense in which we can study a lot and, and, and maybe think that we grasp it all. And I know he doesn't. This God is obviously beyond us. He is what the scripture says. He's the beginning and the end. His ways are unknowing according to Paul. But he does say this, that we can know God through Christ, that God makes himself known. Maybe we can't know all of him, but we can certainly know more of him. And the way to know more of Christ, the, the way to know more of God is to know Jesus. Augustine asked the question, what is the face of God? What is the face of love? And the answer he gave is, it is the face of Jesus. And there is a sense to me, at least as pastor and preacher here today, that I desire to know more of him. I want to see more of him. I want to know him more. So that I may be able to live more faithfully in his ways. And so we come to a portion of scripture that... It's really not a letter because there's not any formal kind of greeting like letters. It kind of reads like an old-fashioned tract, a good one. Anybody know what a tract is? Or a homily. It kind of is the kind of scripture that you're not supposed to, at least I don't feel, you're supposed to kind of critique and analyze and get all technical on the text. You've got to just let it be read and heard and felt and experienced and known. There's something about 1 John that wants to, to show us something about God, to answer the prayer that Paul pre uh, prays, that we would grasp a perspective of God that perhaps for some of us is a little bit needed. We don't know too much about the audience that uh, John is writing to, but we do know that he calls them the Beloved. This word in the original language uh, has this idea of you've already been chosen, you already loved. In fact, he uses it interchangeably with this word, dear children. He's, he's kind of making this idea known from the outset as he writes to this people that they are already loved. The starting point is not they're going to work towards some kind of love or God's approval. The starting point is God has already loved them. And as we hear what the author would say, there is this way in which he is challenging a prevailing perspective that stands in the way of knowing and experiencing and living out the love of God. And it, it goes something like this, and I hope I'll do it justice. Gnosticism didn't develop till the second century. We believe that this is kind of a late first century writing. But there was this pre-Gnostic ideas one such heresy is uh, called docetism. Now, just stay with me. Uh, and, and behind this idea was this belief that everything was divided between the material and the spiritual. That matter was evil and transient, and the spirit was good and eternal. This dualism allowed no interaction between the spirit and matter. Because God was spirit, he could not have created the world which is matter, went the argument. This was done by a lesser power, but not God. 
And if this was true about creation, then resurrection itself was impossible because why would the good spirit want to return to the prison of the body? And the danger of these pre-Gnostic thoughts that influenced the believing church was that they could not embrace Jesus because how could he be equal with God and yet be present in the flesh? And you know what? You know what John is saying? He's saying, if you want to know God more and you look at Jesus, you have to see that Jesus reveals God in flesh. That God has become like us to redeem us so that we may be in relationship with him. That you cannot bypass the physicality of Jesus in favor of some kind of spiritual disembodiment. But you must see in his very life, in his very ministry, in his very death, in his very resurrection, in the healing and the touching and the spitting in mud and healing the eyes of the blind, that he is revealing truly who God is. This is what John is saying. If you want to know God, don't separate him as somebody that is disconnected from this world. But you can only know him when you see in him the full revelation of God as the one who enters this world to make it right. And here's where John gets even more technical. Are you still with me? Just say amen. If, yeah. And John says this, if you want to know this God, you must know that he is love. And in order to know that he is love, you must see him through what he has done through Christ. And so here goes. Here's my attempt at such a powerful text to give some clarity. Uh, the one thing that I can't escape as I read the scripture is that God is the one who acts first, who initiates, who shows love. In fact, the scripture says, we only love because he first loved us. Now, at first, this does not seem like a, a point that uh, should surprise any of us. But if I suggested to you that some people think that the way to God's love is to earn it through sometimes doing the right things. Theirs is a, a faith that is contingent upon their own ability to do things. Theirs is a Christianity of love that is conditional. And I have said this to you so many times before, it's worth saying again, if there's anything we learn about parenting is that our actions influence the kind of kids we raise. And if we experience love in a conditional way, in a particular way, the temptation is there for us to love in that conditional way. But John says to us, if you want to know God's love, if you want to experience and live in God's love, then you must realize that His love ultimately is what defines who you are if you are loved by God, you are able to love as God has loved you. Conditional love is quid pro quo. Don't worry about the kids. That's their way of saying amen. 
If you've been raised in a home perhaps in which you have seen this kind of uh, give and take, then your understanding of love will be shaped the same way. As I do premarital counseling all the time, I talk a lot about the home from which we come and, and how it shapes how we think about relationships and expectations and values and even this very idea of love itself. But if we are to get a glimpse of God, this is what John wants us to know, that it does not begin with our understanding of love or our ability to love others. It begins by God who loves us first. Like the unborn child is unable to speak in the womb, and yet the mother and father loves it, so is the love of God for us even before we are able to do anything in return for Him. I want to pause and just say a few things about this. I think sometimes the church loves in very poor ways. We inadvertently put this message out there that that if you do what we want you to do, then we will love you. If you, if, you, if you become like us, then we will love you more. When Paul writes to this church that is struggling with really grasping who God is, he, he, John, he, he's, saying, he's saying something incredibly important for our day and age. He's saying those who begin to love as God loves them, understands that love comes without condition, expressed completely in the self-giving sacrifice of Christ. We don't love each other to get God's love. We don't come to church for God to love us more. We don't do anything in Christian faith to try and earn what has already been given to us through Christ Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. But we learn to receive such love so that we may love better. How we are loved will shape how we love. And how we understand God's love in a world that speaks a lot about love, but seemingly has no real understanding of it, is given to us in the example of Christ. Not only does God initiate and act first and love first, but we see that God's love is not abstract. It's not just kind of this concept, this idea this feeling, this philosophy. I think in a westernized culture, we have uh, uh, incredible skills, incredible tools with which to dissect the mind and society. But there is something about truth that is revealed through Scripture that says to us, it is not just about what you think or how you feel but it is that which actually moves you to act. 
that very much so, the scripture is challenging us to not kind of just have this, this kind of distant, vague understanding of charitable feeling towards others. Love is not abstract, says John. Love is revealed to us in the God who acts first in the self-giving of his own son, Jesus. That love is made tangible. It is expressed in a way that we can apprehend, that we can see. One of my favorite scholars says it this way, God did not give us a set of abstract truths and philosophical ideas by which to know him. He gave us a person, Jesus, that we would be able to apprehend in and through his life and his example what it actually means to love. And when you begin to look at the life of Jesus, how he interacted with people, how he treated people that was unlike him, how gracious he was, how powerful he was, how truthful he was, how innocent he was, how that he suffered even when others said things about him that were not true, then you and I begin to grasp the dimensions of a love that is incarnate and not just in our heads or on our papers. We begin to understand a love that demands a particular way of living. So that when people look at us, what do they see? I think that the image sometimes of the church is one of words without actions. And sometimes when the church has actions, the actions contradict the words. We speak of a love but lack the charity to be gracious. We speak of self-giving but we measure how much we do and how much we give. We speak about following Jesus but when we suffer we kind of ask questions of others and we blame. The reality is that to know love is to know Christ is to see that in following him we embody all that he has done and we see in and through his life what it means to love the world. We are not called to this abstract idea, but we are called to practical demonstrations. We are called to embody grace. We are called to live as ones who have come to believe that we are loved. Uh, God's love is not abstract, but neither is God's love static. It, it matures. We don't begin where we will end. Thanks be to God. Can anybody say hallelujah? <laughs> uh, I always think, when I, when, I, when I read this text, I always think of the, for, is it the foreigner song? I want to know what love is. Thanks, Roman. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. I'll leave the singing to Miriam when she preaches. I'm not going to sing it. I want you to hear verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The Greek word there, kind of like this, this word that has this talos meaning, it means, uh, it means not like uh, uh, without fault or without blemish, as is often the case we think about when we hear this word, but it actually is best understood as purpose that to which things are directed and aimed. In other words, the love that we receive is a love that is given to us graciously, but it is a love that is to be transformative, to grow within us. It is to serve a purpose. 
And here's what John says. Is he says that that love has been perfected among us in this, in verse 17, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. And then he says in verse 12, as I, I, oh, sorry, I just read verse 12, if we love one another, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. John is teaching us something about not only love that is received as a gift of God, but he's talking about love that becomes perfected in us, that grows in us. One of the signs of a love that is maturing us is how we love others. You know, it's interesting how that this particular text doesn't kind of start off by saying, God loved you, now, now, now you love God, although that is implied. It seems like John wants us to grasp that the love of God, when it gets perfected in us, develops within us the ability to mature in our love for others. And so I was wondering about this. I was wondering, what does a mature love look like? Well, the first thing he says is a mature love is not motivated or fueled by fear. Uh, have you ever, you know, had someone be afraid of you and invite them to love you? You know, I wonder about the posture of the church in the world. If, 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 if the posture we have is to be feared or to be avoided because people fear who we are. I wonder if that speaks of love. And, and yet there's something that's happening in the text. John is not saying that there is no judgment. He's certainly not saying that. In fact, he implies that there will be a judgment. But he says those who are being made perfect in love, they do not have to fear. Because... When we see that love is made visible through Jesus who takes care of sin, we have nothing to fear. And there's a sense that when love starts to mature in us, our motivation is not driven by the fear of God's judgment, but it is driven by love itself. And we begin to live a life in which we don't measure as often as we are tempted to. We don't say to our spouse, uh, you know, in our heads, in our minds, we never say this out loud, yeah, I'm not going to be kind to you today because you weren't kind to me yesterday. We don't say in our relationships with one another in the church that, that it is only when you are like this that I will respond this way. When love becomes mature... It is not motivated by a, an accounting of wrong, neither is it motivated by a quid pro quo, but it is motivated by God's love himself that says, in giving myself, in loving first, I am revealing who God is. And love always invites a response, but we can never control it. It is always within the capacity of somebody else to receive and respond to it. We are not called to determine the responses of people in our homes or in the society, but we are called to love in such provocative ways that it cannot be denied that God is who He said He is. How are you doing? I can tell you that personally, I cannot preach a message like this without feeling a sense of conviction. 
It seems to me that I still have some maturing to do, some growing up to do, some ways to learn to love that just escapes me yet, but I am confident of this, according to the Word of God, that God is still at work within me, and perhaps today He's saying to you that I'm still at work within you. Fear is a poor motivator for love. (laughs) But the love of God comes to us, taking care of all that we need to be afraid of so that we may know Him and grow in Him. As I close this uh, message, I want to close with just a a little personal story. Can I do that? What are you going to do? Are you going to say no? When I was going to quit right here and be like, okay. At least I asked. Um, this past week, uh, a friend of mine uh, from Toronto sent me a, a photo. I thought it would be a little self-indulgent to put it up on the screen, uh, but now I regret that I didn't because it's a photo of um, my grandmother, my dad's mom. Uh, I called her Mama. Anybody else called their grandparents Mama? Okay. Um, the picture was taken many years ago. I didn't have any more hair than I did now, but I was a lot younger. And uh, it's me sitting next to my grandmother with my arm on her shoulder. I've spoken about my grandmother much, but I felt very impressed this morning to share this with you because I think that when we try to preach about things like love and God's love for us, sometimes we miss this, that, that Jesus kind of believed that we can, we can live that love in such powerful ways that other people can experience it through us. And so my grandmother, when she was, had four kids of her own, lost her husband in a car accident. She raised her four children on her own during apartheid South Africa as a person of color. She experienced, you know, the kinds of things that people write in books about people going through. And you would never know that if you met her (laughs) because there was such a joy and such a peace She embodied for me faithfulness and hope that was rooted not in some kind of ethereal idea of God, but a personal knowing. So that when she said to me before she left Toronto to go back home, and I remember this very vividly, remain faithful, my dear child. Those words, and I've repeated this to you before, has been within my heart and mind ever since. I wonder if, like me, when I think about her, I see what John is describing. And I wonder if there is a sense in which to help us as I close this 
message, you can think of somebody in your life that embodies this love of God, that models this love of God, that takes it off the pages of Scripture, believes it, and lives it. If you can think of somebody like that today, I want you to take a moment and give God thanks for them. If they're still around, if they're still alive, I want you to write them a note, send them a text. Write them a letter, even better. Reach out to them. But if they are not here, that memory should inspire you and me as my memory of my grandmother does me, that I want to love as I've been loved. I understand today that some of us don't know such love. And you know what the Scripture says is that the Spirit of God is so essential. Paul says it this way, His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Sometimes we cannot know that love without the help of God. Sometimes we come from circumstances where we don't have mamas where we don't have faithful people that embody for us what love looks like. And so God has not left us as orphans. He has given us His Spirit. And I pray in the name of Jesus today that if you're such a person that wrestles with your own self-worth because you have not experienced such unconditional love, that God by His Spirit would breathe His love right into your heart and soul today. That you would receive that which you long for and which he offers that would open your heart and your mind and your life to who he is. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for my grandmom. We love to think about Paul as a good example. James. David. But Father, help us to recognize that you've never intended for us to glorify historical figures and not recognize that you call us to live faithfully as you call them. There are saints amongst us, people who have shaped our life, people who have lived faithfully. And and if we uh, have a hard time thinking about who that might be for us, I pray today that you would raise up more saints in your church. People who have come to taste the depth of your love so much that love is their response to a broken and hurting world, that love is their response to when things go wrong, that love is our incarnation of Jesus Christ in the world, that our response is not just this feeble faith, but a faith that has a deep, deep meaning and rootedness in a God who stepped in, got his hands dirty, worked with the broken, healed the sick, brought hope to the hopeless. I pray, Lord, that you would do something in your speaker today, in me, in my life. I pray that you would pour out your spirit anew. The spirit that testifies with Stu Williams' own disposition that he is a child of the living God. But I pray, Lord, 
that you would also instill that same confidence in our staff, in our leaders, in our board, in this church, in this community, that we would be so secure in your love that we are not threatened by the world, but that we love the world in the name of Jesus. May your kingdom come and your will be done in and through all of us. Amen. I want to close, and before I do, I want to invite you, as uh, Helen has uh, already indicated, uh, to join us for prayer tonight. And um, it will be online. It's only an hour. But it is a really incredibly encouraging time. The last time I went on, I was so happy that I did. And so if you have an hour to spare tonight, I want to encourage you uh, to find information online and to join us. Will you stand with me now and receive this closing blessing and benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.